I'm going to be reading the first seven verses. So Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you'll die. You'll not certainly die. The snake said to the woman, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me before, my name is Tom, and a special welcome if you are new or visiting with us this morning. It's so great to have you here. I hope it's the first of many times you can join us on a Sunday. Uh, Let's pray as we come to consider God's word. Loving Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning. We thank you that your word is a lamp for our feet, that it lights our path. And Father, we pray that this morning you will give us ears to hear and soft hearts to receive what you have to say to us. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, friends, the question that we're asking this morning is, where did it all go wrong? Uh, I'm pretty impressive like this, but I can tell you right now what is going to be on the news tonight. In fact, I can do one better. I can tell you what will be on the news tomorrow night and the next night and the night after that. It's going to be something bad. It'll be bad news. That's what we're going to hear. It's sad, but it's true. We will hear about something that is going wrong. Maybe a story about a stabbing in London, an accusation of abuse, a struggle or plight of the poor, a war in a distant land. Whatever it is, it will be bad. That's sad, isn't it? It doesn't take much convincing for someone to know that there is something wrong with the world. But of course, we don't need to turn on the news to see that. We can see that in our own living rooms, can't we? And none of us have lives that live up to what we had hoped for them. And all of us have relationships that are sadly broken, that are full of anger or greed or selfishness or pain. It's a bit of a bleak start to a sermon on a Sunday morning, isn't it? But it's true. When we look at our world, when we look at our lives, we see that things have gone wrong. And the question that we're asking this morning is, well, where did it all go wrong? Now, one of the mistakes that I think we make uh, when we see how messed up things are is to develop a bit of a nostalgia uh, for better times 
past, to think, well, if only we could go back to those days, the good old days, when things were right, when, when, when life was good, then everything would be better. Uh, others kind of have the opposite approach. They think we need to get into the future. We need to leave behind the past. If only we could shake off all the sort of evils of today and advance and progress into the future, then things would be better. Sadly, of course, none of that is true. Those who are old enough to remember the past, if they really think about it, will remember that it actually wasn't that good back then at all. And those who think that the future will be better, well, we've been trying it for some time now and it doesn't seem to work, does it? Now, the Bible says that actually it all went wrong a long, long time ago, almost at the very beginning. And as we'll see in our passage, the Bible says that at the heart of the problem with the world and with our lives today is our relationship between us and God. See, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you would know it's painted an incredible picture for us of the world that God has created. And again and again, we are reminded that this world is good. That when God made the world, he made it to be good, to be perfect, to be just the way things are. But of course, that's not the way the world is today. And the reason for that is given to us, or at least begins to be given to us, today in our, verse, in our verses in chapter 3. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, you've probably heard this story before in chapter 3. The story of the snake tempting Eve to eat the fruit from the tree. You've probably heard that story before. You might have seen paintings about it or, or seen reference to it, references to it on TV or in movies. But do you know what it's actually about? Because this account in chapter 3 actually helps us to see where it all went wrong long, long ago. And God gives us these verses not only to show us where we went wrong, but so that we might actually do something about it today. And so let's have a look at these verses at the beginning of chapter 3. Please uh, open up your Bibles if you've closed them. We're going to be following along page 5 of the Red Bibles. And there are three parts to the temptation of the snake that I want to look at. The first is the lie, the second the promise, and thirdly the result. First of all, let's have a look at the lie that the snake tells us. Eve. Uh, let's read from verse 1. Now the, now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. Now, the lie that the snake tells is actually in two parts, and we'll look at it in a second. But at the heart of the lie is the snake trying to convince Eve that God is not good. The snake wants to convince Eve that that God is not good to her, that God isn't for her, that God is actually holding out on her. And this is the first step towards turning away from God. What does the snake say? Did God really say 
You must not eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, you can, you can hear the tone, the sneer in the snake's voice, can't you? And of course, it, it's a flat-out lie. God didn't say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. He said almost the complete opposite. He said you can eat from every tree in the garden. Every tree except for just one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we'll get to what that's all about in a moment. But do you see what the snake is trying to do here? He's trying to get Eve to believe that God is, is not for her, that he's holding out on her, that he's keeping good things from her. And even though Eve corrects the snake and says, oh, no, it's just the one tree, although she doesn't get it quite right, she adds that she's not allowed to touch it, which God never said. Even though she corrects the snake, now the snake has got her thinking, hang on, why can't I eat from this tree? What's God holding out on me here for? What else is he holding back from me? And the serpent's lie continues. Now, Eve reminds us that God said that if they eat from the fruit, they will die. What does the snake say? You will not die. And have a look at what he says later in verses 4 and 5. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Nothing bad's going to happen to you when you eat this. No, God just doesn't want you to have what he has. He doesn't want you to enjoy the good things that he enjoys. He wants to keep something good from you. And of course, this is a lie. The reason that God doesn't want them to eat from the tree is because it would be disastrous for them. They will die. And yet see how the snake twists the generosity of God and gets Eve to believe that actually God is not good. He's not for her. He's holding out on her. Uh, I have three kids under five, which means about 95% uh, of the words that come out of my mouth and my wife's mouth begin with no. No, you can't touch the oven when it's on. No, you can't run around with scissors. No, you need to put clothes on before you go outside. No, batteries are not for eating. (laughs) Which, of course, is consistently met with complaining and tears and tantrums. Why can't I have what I want? Now, the lie of, of the snake is to get us to believe that God is like a harsh school teacher that just doesn't want you to have fun. Or that God is like a cruel dictator that that wants to use you and control you and enslave you. Rather than seeing that God is actually a loving father. Who has given us so much. Who wants the best for us. And who only says no because he loves us. And he's looking after us. I wonder if you have bought into the lie of the snake is that the picture you have of god that god is not good and that god is holding out on you maybe you've had a bad experience uh, with a church or with a christian and you thought well if that's what they're like i don't want anything to do with their god or uh, or maybe you've you've gone through a really hard time lately uh, you've you've gone through suffering or, or loss and you think well god is just cruel He clearly doesn't care about me. Otherwise, he never would have let this happen. Or maybe you look at what the Bible says and you think, well, clearly God just wants to stop people from living a full and happy 
life. But this is the lie of the snake. Because the Bible shows us again and again that God is actually an incredibly generous, loving God. He is a good God. I mean, look at this world and everything that we have from the air we breathe to the people we love. It's all from our good God. And yes, things aren't the way they're meant to be in the world today. And we'll look a bit later on and next week at why that's the case. But God is good. And the moment that we start to believe this lie, that God is not good, that God is not for us, we start to think, well, maybe I don't want God. Maybe I don't need God. Maybe I shouldn't trust God. Maybe I should leave God and reach out and take what I want for myself. This brings us to the second part of the snake's temptation, and that is the promise. Have a look again at verse at verse 5. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In order to understand what the snake is offering, we need to understand what this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. It can be a little bit hard to understand. We're told in chapter 2 that this fruit comes from a tree, a tree that's called the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the snake seems to make out that when you eat from this, you too will discover knowledge. You too will discover what is good and evil, that there is wisdom to be gained here. But it can't simply mean that when Adam and Eve eat from this tree, suddenly they're going to know what right and wrong is. Because they clearly already know that it's wrong to eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. No, this fruit is talking about a deeper knowledge, a deeper wisdom. What the snake promises when they eat this is that they will be like God. I think this is a clue as to what this fruit is really all about. This fruit doesn't just give you knowledge about good and evil. This fruit is actually about deciding for yourself what is good and evil. When you eat from this fruit, you are taking the place of God. And you are seeking a different sort of knowledge, a different sort of wisdom, a wisdom apart from God where you decide what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. The serpent is saying, Don't worry about God telling you what to do. Just decide for yourself. Live life your own way. Go and grab what you want for yourself. Uh, I'm uh, studying at Cambridge at the moment uh, at the university. And one of the things I've noticed that students like to say a lot these days is that they like to I like to speak my truth. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Speak my truth, not speak the truth. Mind you, it's speak my truth. And the reason that you want to speak my truth is that we don't really believe that there is the truth anymore. There's only my truth, my perspective, what I think, what I believe. That's what matters. I get to decide what is right and wrong for me, what is good and evil for me, what is true and untrue for me. And no one else can tell me otherwise. But of course, this is not a new thing. 
This goes right back to the garden. What Eve is doing and Adam when they eat from this fruit is they are saying, God, I'm no longer interested in your truth, in your knowledge, in your wisdom. I want my truth, my knowledge, my wisdom. I want to be in charge. When Adam and Eve eat from this fruit, they are saying to God, you're not in charge of my life anymore. I'm going to live life my own way. Uh, As you maybe have noticed from my accent, I'm from Australia. And uh, one of the things about Australia is that that we uh, we don't respond very well to people in authority. Uh, I think it has something to do with uh, you guys starting a nation based on convicts. Um, But uh, we're we're not big on authority. And back in the 70s, there was a guy uh, named Leo Casely. He was a farmer... Uh, in Western Australia, and he was fed up with the quotas that the government was was imposing on him. And so he decided he was going to secede from Australia and set up his own nation. Uh, You'll be happy to know he remained loyal to the Queen, uh, but he did establish uh, his own nation, uh, and uh, he styled himself His Majesty Prince Leonard I of the Hutt. And... uh, and uh, he, he, he set up his own nation, set up his own um, passports and visas, so when tourists wanted to come and visit, they could. And uh, for the past 50 years, he's been sued by our government. Now, as ridiculous as this might seem, it is not nearly as ridiculous as what we do when we stand in opposition to God. And we say to God, you're not in charge anymore, I am. This is what we're doing. This is a declaration of independence. Saying to God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm going to take the crown off your head and put it on my own. And the reality is, is that we all do this. This is what the Bible calls sin. So I think most people, they think that they don't, that they're not really that much of a sinner because when they think of sin, they think of really bad things, don't they? sort of murdering someone or pushing grannies down the stairs. And they think, well, I don't do that, so I'm not that much of a sinner. But actually, sin at its heart is not about how we treat each other. It has terrible consequences for how we treat each other. But at its heart, sin is about our attitude to God. Sin is when we say to God, you're not in charge anymore. I am. I'm going to live life my own way. And the point is to help us to see that actually we've all eaten from this tree. That's what the Bible says, Romans 3, 10 to 11. There's no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. We've all said to God, I want to be in charge. I will decide what is right and wrong. We've all reached out and eaten the fruit. You know, one of the interesting things about this passage, uh, and I don't know if you've noticed this, is that the, the snake, he never fully lies. He always gives a half truth. They're the best sort of lies, aren't they? A a lie wrapped in the truth. It's just enough bait on the hook to get someone to believe you. Because in the end, what did the snake say? He said, you will become like God. And that's half true. They, They didn't share any of the glory or power or goodness of God. They didn't share in God's wisdom. No, in fact, the moment you reject God's wisdom and seek wisdom on your own, you become a fool. But they did become like God in one way. 
They set themselves up in opposition to God. They thought that they were now God. They tried to get rid of God and put the crown on their own head. This brings us uh, to the last part of our passage, the result. What happens as a result of all of this? And and here we see how it starts to all go wrong. And and next week we'll continue to see as the consequences of sin unfold. But let's have a look at the immediate effect in verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now remember what I said about the snake. He always deals in half-truths and he does it again here. What does he say? Your eyes will be opened. And this is exactly what we see that happens to Eve. Her eyes are opened just not in the way that she thought. She thought her eyes would be open to gain great wisdom and knowledge. But in fact, she becomes a fool along with Adam. But her eyes are opened in, one, in two particular ways. Her eyes are widened with greed and then filled with shame. So in verse 6, we're told that when she looks at the fruit... She sees that it's pleasing to the eye. Now, we lose some of the meaning here in the translation, but back in chapter 2, we're told that the trees of the garden were pleasing to the eye, but now a different word is used. Uh, It's not so much that they were pleasing to her eyes, but rather that she begins to crave after the fruit. She longs for the fruit. Uh, That word pleasing, it means she coveted or, or lusted after. And what we're meant to see here is that Now that she, before even she eats the fruit, but as she's tempted to it, her eyes have been opened, opened wide with greed. Up until then, Adam and Eve had joyfully received everything from the Lord. But now Eve wants to take, to consume, to to use and abuse. Uh, To borrow a phrase from Gollum in Lord of the Rings, the fruit became her precious And rather than consuming the fruit, the fruit now consumes her. We need to see that this is what happens when we reject God, when we chase after what we want on our own, rather than humbly receiving things from the Lord. We become consumed with greed, the desire to possess, not just to have. And when we look at so many of the problems in our world today, we see that it actually stems from our eyes being wide open long ago. And filled with greed. I mean, think about the climate crisis that we face today. Isn't that just a result of human greed? The eyes of man wanting to consume everything that God has given us. Oh yes, our eyes have been opened. But not with wisdom. But with greed. But of course, Adam and Eve's eyes are opened in another way. Because after they eat, they realise for the first time, that they're naked. And we're told that they cover themselves. Now, this is really interesting because at the end of chapter 2, we're told that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. So that's kind of hard for us to imagine, isn't it? You know, it'd be almost embarrassing, a horrifying prospect for us today. But of course, 
It was talking about something far more profound than just nudity. Before Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they never feared being exposed. They never had to hide from each other. They never had to cover themselves. They could fully accept one another for who they are. But what happened after they ate the fruit? After they reject God, they decide for themselves what is good and evil, they become filled with greed and want to consume and take. Well, their eyes are opened, but what do they see? Well, they see their own sinfulness. They see the sinfulness in their own heart and are filled with shame. And they see the sinfulness in other people's hearts and they're filled with fear. And suddenly they are terrified of being exposed to one another and so they try to hide from each other. Isn't this what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are all about? It's certainly not about being real and showing people what you're really like, is it? It's about hiding yourself. It's about putting a cover on, showing people the you that you want them to see, maybe the you that you wish you were. It's not the you that you really are. If people ever saw what we were really like on the inside, they would be horrified. If today our greatest desire is a lust for knowledge and power and gain, then our greatest fear is being exposed for the greedy, selfish people that we are. And so the serpent was half telling the truth. Their eyes were opened, but not to wisdom. Their eyes were opened wide with greed and filled with shame. Well, what should we take away from all of this? I think the power of these verses, the power of Genesis 3, comes in the moment when we realise that Adam and Eve's story is actually my story as well. So when we realise this is not just an account of what happened way back then, but it is an account of what has happened in my life as well. See, I have taken up the snake's offer. I have believed the snake's lie and thought that God is not good, that God is holding out on me. I have followed the snake's promise and said to God, I don't want to live your way anymore, I'm going to live my own way instead. And my eyes have been opened, not with wisdom, but with greed and shame. So the power of of this passage is to realise that this is not just a story of what happened back in the beginning It is the story that keeps on going again and again. It is my story. It's not just how all things went wrong with the world, but it's how all things have gone wrong for me. I want to finish by saying that we need to remember that the snake was lying. That actually God is good. And he is for you. He loves you. He isn't holding out on you. And remember, this is not the end of the story. I don't know if you noticed, but there's very few pages before this and a lot of pages after this. This is the beginning of the story. Because the rest of the Bible is about our good God who comes after us and pursues us to bring us back to himself. 
The Bible is the story of Jesus who left heaven to find you. Who came down to earth not to reveal my truth, but the truth. To give the true wisdom. Wisdom not apart from God, but from God. It's the story of Jesus who came not to take for himself, but to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the story of the forgiveness that he now offers to each one of us who would come to him. A forgiveness for our sins. So that we can now be clothed again in his righteousness. And no longer feel ashamed. See, God gives us this chapter right at the beginning of the Bible to help us to see where it all went wrong. But also to point us in the direction of where it can get right again with God. And can I say, if today you've really heard this, if today you've realized that this is not just a story, this is not just the story of Adam and Eve, this is my story, then I'd love to encourage you to keep coming on Sunday and learn more about your story, learn more about how God loves you and is coming after you to bring you back to himself. Let's pray. Loving Father, we are sorry that we have believed the lie of the snake. We know, Father, that we are guilty of rejecting you. Father, we know that our eyes have been opened to greed and to shame. Father, we pray that this morning, through your word, you would truly open our eyes. Open our eyes to the truth to your wisdom, and to the wonderful message of the gospel. Father, help us to see our foolishness in turning from you, but also to see your grace in sending your son to die for us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.